if you say to yourself, well, I want every single brand to have a home run signature program. I want every single brand to have a home run social purpose. I mean, give me a break. I'm Eric Fulweiler, and this is Scratch, bringing you marketing lessons from the leading brands and brains, rewriting the rulebook from scratch for the world of today. How do you create purpose-driven branding? Attaching your brand to a purpose or a social cause can be a powerful tool, but how do you actually do it effectively? In today's episode, we're talking to a legend within this subject, David Ocker. Ocker has authored and published hundreds of articles and 18 books, and the latest one is called The Future of Purpose-Driven Branding. His books have been translated into 18 languages and sold over 1 million copies and have offered guidance and inspiration to marketing leadership at many of the world's leading brands. In today's episode, we wanted to really drill down into what purpose-driven marketing means and how brands should approach this. We also asked David if all businesses need a purpose in order to attract the right customer. David shared some really good nuggets on brands and brand purpose, and he even offered a free ebook to you, our listeners. After you've listened to this episode, make sure to grab your copy on the link in the episode summary. All right, let's get into the interview. Uh, David, before we start on brand purpose, one of the things we always like to do here on Scratch is ask the guests a few questions just about how you see the world. One of the things I'd love to start with is what are you most curious about right now when it comes to marketing? I imagine some of it may be brand purpose, given the, the book you've just written, but what stands out to you? Well, I, I um, get sort of uh, focused in whatever I'm writing about. And I, I think my last two books have really uh, addressed major strategic problems facing all firms. And, and they're kind of what is going to be the future. And therefore, it's, it's the future of branding as well. And uh I, I wrote this book on disruptive innovation, owning game-changing subcategories, where I introduced branding into a subject that that uh, that really hadn't seen branding much. Uh, these important books on disruptive innovation don't mention branding at all. And uh, and then I I my last book, the one that's coming out next week, is um, on. You know, the problem of how do you address societal issues if you're motivated to do so as, as a business? And, uh, and here again, uh, my role is to introduce branding into a subject in which it's, it's very uh, uh, under-leveraged. Why do you think that is? I think it's intriguing that within the industry, it feels like there's been quite a few conversations or, that have come in vogue on the idea of brand purpose and, and societal good. But I think to your point, it feels like no one's really connected that as well as they could or talked about the details underneath it. Why do you think there is that disconnect? I, I, that's a really good question. I've never thought about it, but uh, I, I, the basic reason I think is that the uh, the leaders of the uh, strategic and tactical, for that matter, um, efforts around both disruptive innovation and uh, addressing societal challenges are, are not branding people. They're not even marketing people. 
in in the disruptive innovation space there they tend to be technology people or or strategy people business strategy and uh they're they're have probably had no exposure to branding and uh and they're sort of stuck in the in the 70s when uh branding was simply tactical is the pg&e brand management model where it's uh, completely tactical and uh, delegated to some, thir- you know, middle management person. And um, anyway, they didn't get the memo that it's changed and marketing is, not, is and branding is now strategic and at the executive table. And then in the case of the uh, uh, social programs and uh, societal challenges, uh, here again, I think the, the, the drivers of that intellectually and so on have been... Uh, 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 economists, or they've been uh, sort of uh, business and society people that are interested in public policy and they're interested in in societal problems and the role of business in solving them. And they don't come from marketing. They certainly don't come from branding. So I, I think that's the the reason uh, that all those books don't mention branding. And is that what inspired writing the book? Is a uh, is the need to close that gap between uh, uh, people thinking about societal purpose and think people thinking about branding? What inspired you, or or what started the process for the newest book? No, it, it's it's not. It, it's the way I write books is uh, is um, for better or worse is not that way. I wrote a book on disruptive innovation because I discovered in my work in Japan. And I'm looking at beer data, 30 years, there's only four times the market share projections changed, and they're all due to sub, uh, new subcategories form, disruptive innovation. So I sort of discovered disruptive innovation is such a powerful force. So I wrote a book on disruptive innovation. And about two-thirds down through the book, I started looking in the mirror and said, well, all these books, what have I got to offer? And then I kind of realized it that what I have to offer is branding. And so the, the, that became the, sort of the, the, uh, the, the goal of the book and the differentiator of the book and the value add of the book. And the same thing happened in this space. I've been always interested in, in uh, how you, why and how you do good for society if you're a firm and a business. And what is the rationale and what is the motivation? And almost all my books, I have a chapter on that. And um, and so it's just a subject that inherited. So I just went into it and said, "How? Why should you do it? And how should you do it? How would you work?" And about two thirds into the book, I realized, you know, there's hundreds of books on this. What am I going to say that's different? And uh, and I realized that well, branding's pretty important here. Nobody else is talking about it. So my role in this book also is to is to explain why branding is important and how you do it. Hmm. Why do you think there there's that disconnect even amongst people who wrote books about it? I, th- I think it's intriguing that when we talk about brand purpose, as we alluded to earlier, it feels like the industry has discussed it for quite a while. And the industry definitely is in love with applying branding to certain things. But it, but it feels like, to your point, there's a lot of books that, that miss that. Is it something that came through an insight from your work that guided you to kind of connect the two as, as you mentioned, or is, was it looking at the industry and, and trying to close a gap there? Well, once I got into 
both of these issues and uh, sort of got waist deep in it, you know, and I really 60 or 70 percent done of the book. I, uh, it, it was becoming clear that to do, uh, to have success in the area, it was really, uh, branding was almost indispensable. It was an enabler. And uh, you, you just had to have a brand. And, uh, and in the case of the disruptive innovation, you needed to be the exemplar of the subcategory. You need to position the subcategory, not the brand, the subcategory. You need to scale it really fast to be successful. And you had to build barriers. And those are all branding problems. In, the, in this uh, uh, social purpose book, the, uh, um, you know, the, it, it, it all came to me that it's all about uh, two, two ways that branding work. One is you got to brand the social program. It's not a, just a matter of having grants, volunteers, energy goals that are not branded and kind of amorphous. They're aimless. They're the same as every other com company. That A, doesn't get much impact at the end of the day. And two, it, it doesn't, it, it, it lacks what a brand gives you. You know, a brand guides, a brand, brand inspires, a brand communicates, and all those things are necessary for success of the program. So that's one thing. The second way a brand has, it comes into the occasion, Michael Porter and uh, uh, Professor Kramer at Harvard wrote a famous article 10 years ago in which they said that, you know, you... Uh, you need to have shared value. You need to have a brand that helps society, but also helps a business. And they said you can do that by, you know, building windmills or growing organic food. You can change your business to, to do that, or you can have a, enjoy some cost reduction because you use less energy or something. And uh, uh, they even said you could co coalesce your factories and offices in an area and help the community. But they, but, but they really missed the real value of that. It's, it's to elevate the brand of the business. You give it energy. I mean, these business brands, you're making bar soap. You, you, there's no way to get energy. But if you build a program called Help a Child Reach 5, you have enormous energy. You get three videos that Lifeboy did to support that program got 44 million views. So you get energy. And you get an energy lift. You look at uh, what uh, Goldman Sachs did with their uh, ten thousand woman program to train women entrepreneurs in the third world and give them access to capital, and that's done a lot for the image of Goldman. It really shows that Goldman has a heart that it can apply their resources to do good in a remarkable way. And finally, you can uh, engage your. Uh, uh, your employees, your customers, your other stakeholders, and and uh, as as we know in marketing and branding so well, the the whole heart of the business is the loyalty of the customers, and and that's driven by a brand, and so um, you know you have a company like Thrivent, which is a large uh, financial services company, and um, and they. Uh, uh, adopted Habitat uh, uh, for Humanity as a signature program back in 2005, and and since then they have had an outlet for their 
employees and customers, they have these action teams that go all over the world building uh, uh, building homes under Habitat for Him. They've got a sub-brand called um, Thrivent Builds. And uh, just think of the, the loyalty and the affinity for Thrivent and for Habitat, for that matter, that this, this uh, uh, outlet for their 2 million uh, sort of Thrivent members uh, that, and their families, what that generates. So anyway, so you have the, the brand has to be on the program. They have to understand they need signature programs that are branded, and they have to use that brand to help a business brand, to give it energy, image lift, and, and a connection. And that, was, that is and was missing. Prior to this conversation with David, we were curious about how brand purpose works in industries that are inherently negative. Can all brands have a purpose? Or can you adopt a purpose regardless of what you're selling and what services you provide? We asked David about this, and here's what he had to say. That's a great question. I don't know if you saw it and that prompted your question, but there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that was critical of Unilever and and suggested they were wasting money chasing purpose and they should get back to the fundamentals of their business. And I wrote a blog that it's just went up last last few days under at davidocker.com in which I um, which I made some observations about that article and and uh, in the premise. And uh, basically, you you, know, you take an, a, a a brand at Unilever like Dove. They developed in two thousand and three the Real Beauty program. And, uh, and, and adjacent to that, it was the self-esteem program for teen girls. But the Real Beauty program has, is, is uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, it's not a matter of them stopping the Real Beauty program and doing the fundamentals of the business. The Real Beauty program is the business. It's the core. It's the body of the business strategy. Without the business strategy, there would Without the real beauty program, there would be no business strategy. So it, it's not a matter of, of sort of sticking to your knitting. That is the knitting. And, and, uh, and you look at what that's done. They, they, over the 20 years, they've ridden that wave. They've, uh, increased, they've doubled sales and, uh, from 2.4 million to over 4 billion. And, um, and it's just amazing. I mean, they've had a dozen different campaigns within this. One of them, called Sketches, got uh, uh, 75 million YouTube viewers alone. And, and another one called Evolution got $150 million worth of free advertising. I mean, this is basically a bar soap and some deodorant and... and uh, uh, Stuff. It was it was a bar soap that was based on moisturizer. Now they make deodorant for which moisturizing isn't even relevant. And uh, uh, so, if they want somebody wants them to go to, back to basics, what would that be? So anyway, and then if you look at at Unilever, they got four hundred brands. They've got a brand portfolio. And um, if if you say to yourself, "Well, I want every single brand to have a home run." signature program. I want every single brand to have a home run social purpose. I mean, give me a break. If you're if you create a financial portfolio, you don't 
If you, if you have a portfolio in which every single stock was a home run, or at least above average, you've probably got a wrong portfolio. You probably have not taken enough risks in that portfolio. Uh, so it's unrealistic to have every single brand be a Dove uh, or a Life Boy or um, Hellman's or, or somebody that has hit a home run. And, and that's one thing. The second thing is you have, uh, you know, they're patient with their products. They have a, a product called Axe that was the sort of the poster child for, you know, somebody that is uh, sort of two-faced. You know, they're, they're talking about Dove and self-esteem and then Axe is tearing down women. And, and um, so what Unilever did was to say, okay, we got 400 brands. We're going to take 26 of them and call they, these are, um, you know, sustainable life brands or whatever they used that term was. So it was, they, they had a status, these 26 brands, and they grow that every year, that number. And uh, Axe wasn't one of them. But uh, over uh, time, Axe is sitting there sort of being uncomfortable in the corporation. They're uncomfortable. Uh, they got no support for what they were doing. And they didn't throw them out. They didn't sell them off. But they, they, were they made them uncomfortable. And it, suddenly they woke up and they said, you know something? This isn't working so well anymore. I mean, people aren't, uh, you know, they're not having a lot of... Uh, humorous fun with the idea that, uh, you know, we can attract women by putting on the right deodorant and they'll just fall over us and attack us. And, and it's sort of the joke wasn't funny anymore. And so they said, well, we have to, uh, we, we should change. And, and by the way, if we did that, the executive suite at Unilever would feel better about us. That's not going to, that's not all bad. And so they changed the, the thrust of acts to be one of, of achieving your, your potential, whatever it is, you know, to be you, but to be the best you. And, uh, and, and that was sort of their new mission. And, um, and after that got, um, got traction and uh, they dumped all the stuff they were doing, they they joined this elite group of brands at Unilever. They earned that that uh, that status. So their their social purpose became help people achieve you know the best they can be kind of thing. And um, and but let me say a word about purpose. Uh, uh, people argue that uh, that you know if you have a social purpose you're going to dilute your main business. And, and uh, so I, I, there's two things about purpose that I, I need to say. One is that if you don't have to do that, there's a lot of companies that do do that. Legos does it well. Uh, there's other companies. And, um, but, but if you don't, if you can't create a business purpose that, that, that provides an umbrella making social programs acceptable in your company, then you have a stand-by-side stand -side social purpose. So, uh, um, you know, Salesforce has a business purpose. We connect people and they have a social purpose, you know, the, the uh, software for good kind of stuff, the, the, the nonprofit cloud, the sustainability cloud, and, and so on. And... Um, 
So anyway, they have two side-by-side -side purposes, a social purpose and a business purpose. And, and so that gives the uh, social program status, and it also gives them a, a permission to go there, and, uh, and it doesn't detract from the business purpose. The other thing I would say about purpose, and, it, and, we, and we've, uh, you, know, you know this as well as I do, boys that have worked with brand and brand strategy, if you can create, uh, well, I used to call it a brand identity or brand vision or brand pillars or brand principles or, or whatever you want to call it, what your brand stands for aspirationally, if you can get that right, with the right label, it's total magic. I mean, you can you can drive the company, you can drive the relationships, you can drive the brand. You know, like a, a big, a good example. There's a lot of good examples, but the Hawes Berkeley Business School in in, in in California created these four principles. One of which is a confidence without attitude. It's so differentiating. It it's it's just. It made that business school charge up the world uh, map. Everybody's envious of it because they, it really got something that clicked. It is not easy to do that. And sometimes they, you can spend uh, uh, weeks or months, sometimes you spend years before you find something that really clicks. And in the meantime, you've got something that's basically not doing any harm, but it's not doing any good. It's all ignored. It's not magic. It's not inspiring. It's not guiding, and so um, this this uh, illusion that there, you either have a purpose or you don't have a purpose is 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 just not the way reality is. It's a spectrum. You can have a great magic purpose, or you can have a purpose that that doesn't do anything, and you have no purpose, and which is about the same. And so it's not a matter of saying, let's have a purpose. We'll go to, you know, an organization like, um, you know, ours or, or yours and, uh, and, and, and get, find magic. It's not so easy. I love what you, I love that point you raise. Purpose is less of a decision and more of a, a force that drives brands to adapt sometimes to the axe example. I guess one of the things I would be curious to get your opinion on is we've talked a lot about brand purpose and, and right there we talked about good brands, just good brand fundamentals and good brand understanding. Do you feel the, the role of brand is changing over time or the role of a good brand and the structure of a good brand has changed or is it timeless and we're just talking about it in new ways? Oh, that's a good question. And uh, uh, lies behind it is how brands have and brand management has changed over the last, you know, 30, 50 years. Uh, so that has got something to do about it. There's, it, it's, it's been a, a really a, a spectacular change from the, the Procter and Gamble tactical management to this now CMO or VP of marketing seat at the executive table, and the knowledge that strategy is intertwined with branding. Um, so um, there's that, and 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 of course that memo hasn't gotten to everybody yet. There's still people that uh, that don't accept that or they don't get it, and uh, um, and and so there's that journey we're still on. And then there's of course all the tactical stuff around digital stuff. The digital is 
is accelerated disruptive innovation and it's uh, it changed uh, the ability to scale it's changed uh, uh, the ability for a brand to to uh, get into the into the uh, e-commerce or something get into people's getting people access to them and uh, communicating with social and and websites and so on so uh, that that has that tactical stuff has affected strategy as as well and so there are those changes but there's a lot of fundamentals that are the same it's such an interesting point you raise it's like a, there's a, a book called the successful exposition of advertising from 1890 and i used to read it to junior planners and cover up the bits that would give them a hint that it was over 100 years old and if you take the channels out and you swap things like telegraph for social media obviously there's some elements and tactics that change but it was interesting that a lot of it still rang true and i i tend to agree with you that you go the the, the wider strategy and foundations are pretty timeless, but the way they're being applied, the way that we apply them to the game that is marketing and, and persuasion changes. So yeah, it comes back to creating creating the product. Phil Kotler always said that the definition of marketing is making un selling unnecessary. So you create the right product, but then you have to communicate it and you have to distribute it. I guess there's an interesting point there I'd, I'd love to know more about because the, the Kotler definition of kind of selling the unnecessary, how do we think that that mixes with an age of social purpose, an age of conscious consumerism. Does it need to change or is it just a, an uncomfortable combination in, in today's society? No, I think it, it comes back to uh, uh, doing what people want done. And so there's a, uh, uh, you know, there's an important constituency and that's employees. Employees really insist that you do something that 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 make that make money for shareholders, and it, they even want you to do something more than make insanely great products. That's not enough for them, especially Gen Z, even millennials. Uh, they they won't work, they won't join, or they won't stay at a firm that doesn't have a different attitude, that doesn't have a social purpose, it doesn't have effective so it doesn't allow them to you know, to do something for society. So therefore, if you're uh, running a business strategically, you need to factor in that, that thing. There's also customers and, and to varying amount, but it doesn't take very many customers to make the difference between struggling and thriving. You know, 10% of the marketplace can, can make that difference. So even though the, uh, uh, they might be small in, in relative numbers. They can still be influential. So, um, so again, I, I think that that uh, it, it it's it, we can be doing social good and still sort of fulfilling the the uh, our goal of creating a viable enterprise. But there's there's one other element, and that is that business need to be leaders. And it's not only a matter of figuring out where employees are, where customers are, and then following them and, and sort of acceding to their demands. The companies have to be leaders. And, and you, and, you know, uh, it's easy to be discouraged today about the, the politics, the rise of autocratic uh, governments and uh, the, uh, the polarization, the paralyzation. And, 
and one bright spot. It's, it's really incredible what private companies are doing for climate change, for social good, uh, it, it's just, for diversity. It's just amazing. You, and it's really hard to find a company, even small companies, uh, of a few hundred people or a few dozen people. They're, uh, they're, they're really doing something useful. And, and, and over time, this uh, motivation and this energy is, is productive. They're, I mean, they're really making a difference. They're making a difference to climate change. It's amazing. And uh, so they're, being, they're, they're really behaving like leaders. And it's, you know, like Benioff and, and the people at Unilever and the people at uh, uh, Patagonia uh, are not the only ones. I mean, they're out in front, but they're not the only ones. It's really across the board. You have Goldman Sachs. You have Walmart. I mean, Walmart for 10 years has done the most amazing things. And they were, you know, they weren't there 10 years ago. I love the point you raised there, because I think, to your point, there's an expectation of leadership on a lot of marketers and private organizations nowadays, and a lot of push to, to claim the benefits that we've talked about from a strong brand purpose. How would you advise marketers listening to this to start? Because I imagine there's a real push to want to save the world on day one, to want to be Patagonia. But I imagine that's quite a high bar to set. So what would be your advice to start on that journey for a marketer listening? First of all, it really, uh, the importance of the CEO is, can't be underestimated. CEOs um, have such a key role here. If you look at, you know, the Unilevers, the leaders in the world, the uh, um, and all the CEOs of their brands and, and Patagonia, the CEO is really, really the driver, the inspiration, the pr people that's building that culture. So uh, uh, there's that. And, but what I would advise is, is to create a signature brand, to really uh, a signature social program and, and really focus on trying to find something that works for you. It's, it would be really great if it's something that that employs your assets and resources and is compatible with your offering or or, or at least your your marketplace. But um, it it that's not necessary. You you can make a, a commitment and involvement just through fundraising and through um, you know intellectual and and uh, support and. Uh, you know, you look at Avon Walk for Breast, breast, can breast Cancer or something, and that was their signature program, and it had nothing to do with their products or anything. But um, so I would look for signature programs because a that will end you'll end up with doing something that'll have more impact, and b you'll do something that will help your own brand, which which is will give you money and 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 market share and, and all the rest of it, but more important, it will support the program. I don't know if it's more important, but it will. And you, know, you talked about a flywheel. If you get something that will help the business, the business will then be motivated and it won't even have to be asked. It's going to support that program with, with an endorsement, with resources and, uh, and, and involvement. So when you're speaking about signature programs, something that came to mind was how do you actually go about finding the right fit for your company? Does it have to be strictly related to what your business does? 
or can you just choose wildly? Oh, that that's really a good question. I was at the board of an insurance program, uh, insurance company, and we looked for 10 years for a signature program. We never could really find one because we had a, a broad uh, array of customers and we could find one that was relevant to each of those customer bases, but we couldn't find one that spanned them. And uh, God, we tried. And so we we're doing all these, you know, ten thousand dollar grants every every year, and uh, to people that wrote in, and it, it, it nothing. And so, um, but we did end up creating uh, about four or five signature programs that were oriented toward a customer base. And uh, so it helped our brand with those customers, and it, 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 uh, they were modest, but um, so if you put four or five of them together, they ended up making a difference. Like we would, we had a program to, to rebuild the, the kitchen in schools for teacher, the teachers use, because teachers was a big thing. And for the police, which was another big deal, a customer, we, we provide teddy bears that patrolmen could give to kids in accidents. And so anyway, and we branded those, both those programs. And, um, so anyway, that, that's, that's one route. But another uh, uh, a strange source of signature programs often comes from some spark within the organization. Maybe the CEO or maybe something else had an incident. They ran into a homeless person and, and something triggered them. We got to do something about that. And they started or got involved in a nonprofit or they, they got started themselves doing something. And, and that fire within the company can can explode and suddenly it's a, a signature program. They, at uh, Barclays, they had a trust problem once, and they started a social purpose-led set of programs. One of them was a, a digital eagles, where people would help people understand the digital world, the old elderly people and youngsters and so forth. They started with seven employees. They now have seventeen thousand doing that, and. Uh, and you know that's not nothing to do with their bank, or just at all, really. But it was a germ of an idea that just grew, and 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 everybody was attracted to it. And it was something that need doing. Nobody else was doing it. They had the the expertise. They could, you know, they had a bunch of people that understood computers and entertainment systems, and they could go out there and help. And. Uh, but that's a really good question. I have a chapter in the book. How do you find your signature story? And not signature story, a, a signature program. It, uh, the signature program and the openness you speak about there is so intriguing. I know one of the things we've always thought about brands is successful brands are open to the world. And I, I, I think the, the build you've had there, the CEO especially, being a, a kind of spark in, in social change is interesting. If both the organization and the leadership of that organization and the brand understand what's going on in the world around them and understand how they want to interact with it. I think it's, it's an intriguing point on brand openness and, and understanding that your role may change and that it may need to interact with the, the wider world and marketplace. Yeah, and I hadn't thought about this before, but it does suggest that having a CEO that is uh, sort of externally oriented and has his... his has a feel for well employees and the market and the customers is uh, is, uh, is is probably a good thing it's so true I think it's always struck us that in a lot of the the brand work that we've done 
the consumer is always trying to lead you somewhere. The world is always trying to lead you somewhere. It's just, are we able to listen or are we able to, to follow where they want us to go? And I think it, it's an intriguing point that the leadership as well needs to be open to that, to understand the forces that want to pull them in certain directions and understand how the, the brand or the company can adapt to that. One other thing I'd be curious about, uh, just thinking about kind of uh, the question we ask a lot of guests, and I'd, I'd love to know, is you know, when we think about modern marketing, is this an addition to, to the way modern marketing exists, or is the idea of increased purpose something that's going to rewrite the rules of modern marketing in your mind? Oh, I, I never, nobody asked me about what the future of marketing, they asked Phil Kotler that. They asked me what's the future of branding. And uh, so I, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, that's a little bit beyond my pay grade. But um, I think it has to be part of the, uh, um, part of the future of marketing for sure. Because of these, all these forces, the fact that we've got these social problems now that are, that are scary. I mean, or, or they're serious and they're affecting everything. And so we, we have to get involved and we can get involved because we have the agility, we have the resources, we have the know-how and, uh, and our employees and others demand it. And, uh, and actually our business often needs the energy lift and the image lift that it'll give. So true. Uh, one thing I'd be curious about building on our conversation about purpose and, and business growth is obviously at the moment we're looking at quite an economic downturn in a lot of markets across the, the, the world. And I think there's a challenge sometimes uh, for marketers especially to assume that when economic times are tough, when uh, price becomes more sensitive, we have to boil back what we do. Do you see the role of purpose in consumers' minds and society changing as the, the economy has a downturn, or do you feel it's, it's still as important as it is now? Yeah, it's a really good question. I guess it, it'll probably recede a little as other, it's Maslow's law, right? It is when you have to get your, if you can't f feed and house you or, your, or somebody you know or some, some relative, that becomes more important than anything. And so uh, I think that's going to be a, um, a challenge to, uh, to keep the, the focus on these major things that uh, are too easily uh, you know, de-emphasized when, when you have that. that. So that, that's definitely an, an issue, I think. Um, so then it comes back to... Uh, to, to leadership and 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 that's all the more important this idea that making sure these these social programs actually enhance the business instead of detract to them because if they're a dead weight financially they're very vulnerable i think it's 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 such an intriguing point there that if you can make them valuable to the business then they they can survive a downturn and i think yeah, as you were speaking, one of the things that struck me is there's probably such an opportunity for marketers over the next 12 to 18 months to help maintain the progress in certain causes that consumers care about. As times get tougher, I think we tend to trade off a lot of things. You know, if you look at sustainability during COVID, the idea that single-use plastic came roaring back. 
or the idea that you know, environmentalism during an economic downturn is going to be harder to pay for sustainable things. And I think to your point about brand leadership, if brands can step in and make it work for them, but also make it work for consumers to maintain that progress, that feels like such a powerful opportunity in, in kind of what could be a, a tough period that's upcoming. Uh, one thing we ask everyone at the, the end of the program would be, if there was one thing you wanted listeners to take away from this, one thing you wanted them to know from the conversation we had today, what would it be? Well, I, I, my uh, sort of goal for almost three decades is try to get people to use, to understand branding, to use branding in their business and to make it a strategic uh, thing. And, and I think I've have made a small uh, bit of progress in that. And, and I still feel that way, but I, I really, as I said at the outset, I, I was really stunned when I made, came to the realization, both in the Disruptive Innovation book, the subcategory book, and in this latest book, The Future Purpose Driven Branding, that this, these two major, um, they're, they must be the two most important strategic issues facing a lot of businesses that brand has been absent for all the all these major books. I mean, in both cases, you got a hundred books, and and branding is almost absent. And yet, branding is so important in each of those arenas. It's so true, and and quite a powerful point. I'm really looking forward to reading it. And as I mentioned in the beginning, I'm I'm quite a fan of your work. So I think it'll be it'll be an intriguing read and an incredibly useful one because I think at the moment we're doing quite a a lot of work on purpose. So I think figuring out the best way to to push that forward, make it necessary and make it kind of valuable as you say is really key. Scratch is a production of Rival. We are a growth consultancy that builds challenger brands, strategies, and capabilities to disrupt categories. If you want to learn more about us, check out wearerival.com. If you want to connect with me, email me at eric at wearerival.com or find me on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, share with anyone you think might enjoy it, and leave us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next week.